Security provider Symantec buys itself a new CEO. And tests of mobile banking apps uncover loads of flaws. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin with news of a big acquisition in the cybersecurity industry. Security provider Symantec announced its buying network and cloud security firm Bluecoat for nearly $4.7 billion. To delve into the implications of this merger, I'm joined by ISMG data breach editor Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. Originally founded in 1982 to research the then nascent field of artificial intelligence, Symantec has been a mainstay in IT security for years, dating back to its acquisition of Peter Norton Computing in 1990 the company that developed Norton antiviruswares. The Bluecoat acquisition comes at a time of turmoil at Symantec. Matt, what gives? Symantec has been struggling to capture the enterprise security market in particular. Obviously, they do have a lot of customers right now, but I think they're having a hard time signing up new ones and transitioning to the cloud security space. So instead of selling you a license at the beginning of the year and booking that income, Apparently, a lot more security firms now are having to sell cloud subscriptions, which pay out over a period of 12 months, and there's fierce competition for those dollars. In announcing the acquisition map, Symantec said Bluecoat Chief Executive Gray Clark will become its top honcho. Is this demand for cloud security behind Clark's new gig? Symantec is a bit desperate when it comes to senior management. They are getting their fourth CEO in four years, the third new one in four years, in the form of the Bluecoat CEO. Symantec's been having a hard time executing on its business plan. They fired Enrique Salam, who oversaw the completion of the Veritas deal. They got rid of him in 2012. They fired his replacement in early 2014. They brought in the current CEO as an interim CEO, and they fired him in April. He's been sticking around as an interim CEO until October. Symantec had said they were going to get someone new in, and obviously this blue coat deal gives them the opportunity to maybe shake up their leadership a little bit. The current CEO had been there in one form or another since the Veritas acquisition. So blue coat CEO might be just what Symantec needs. You mentioned Veritas. Refresh our memories about that deal. Veritas is the storage firm that Symantec bought in 2005 for $13.5 billion. Symantec tried to blend it with its security business, failed, and eventually sold the business unit that was Veritas for the equivalent of about $7 billion earlier this year. My math says that wasn't very good for the company. No, and it was supposed to have sold for $8 billion, but due to some irregularities, the sale price got knocked down by a billion dollars. Obviously, when that happened, then-CEO Michael Brown was out the door. How is the Blue Coat announcement playing with the IT security community, the investor community? Symantec is buying Bluecoat for approximately $4.65 billion. That is a nice increase from the $2.4 billion that Bluecoat was bought for just one year ago by Bain Capital. Now, Bain Capital is plowing in some of those proceeds off the deal that it's getting. It's going to invest $750 million into the new entity. And another investment firm called Silver Lake is going to be investing half a billion in Symantec itself. Obviously, two venture capital firms, both well-known, they think this looks like a good idea. But if you look at the chatter on Twitter and speak to some security professionals, they're not all that excited about Symantec in any form. It would take a lot more than the acquisition of Bluecoat to really revitalize Symantec's image which has suffered, I would say, mightily in previous years. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. The use of mobile banking apps is gaining in popularity around the world. But in some regions, questions are being raised about the security of those apps. 
One study identified that half of the more than 100 banking apps tested in Asia-Pacific had at least four security loopholes. We have more on this story from ISMG's Radhika Nalyam. A recent study by the cloud-based security company Appnox found that 85% of mobile banking apps in the Asia-Pacific region fail basic security checks. The Appnox ethical hacking team tested around 106 mobile banking apps. And one of the more disturbing findings was that they could actually bypass the two-factor authentication. In some cases, they did so by sniffing the one-time password sent to the app's users. Another alarming finding is that on some payment wallet apps, the ethical hackers tricked the system to believe that an amount was paid without actually paying it. But why are so many vulnerabilities found in mobile banking apps? Experts suggest that banks put customer convenience ahead of security. AppNox co-founder Pradeep Panda says security often takes a backseat to convenience because businesses are not punished for security violations. He says mobile has become a great channel to acquire more users and that's what businesses focus on. It is indeed shocking to see that developers of bank and payment apps don't take security seriously. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Radhika Nalayam. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Businesses in the United States generally favor the idea of a national breach notification law. After all, it's easier to comply with one statute than the individual laws enacted by 47 states. Several bills to nationalize breach notification are before Congress, but one of those measures has retailers up in arms. It's known as the Data Security Act of 2015, or H.R. 2205. And to explain why the trade group Retail Industry Leaders Association is so disturbed by the measure, I'm joined by ISMG Banking and Fraud Editor, Tracy Kitten. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Eric. What gives with RELA, as this trade association is known? One of the major concerns that RELA has with the Data Security Act is that it would basically put the same types of requirements or restrictions on retailers that we see being placed in the banking industry. So, for instance, um, background checks on clerks that, that work in a retail environment, something that we see in the banking environment. Of course, you know it makes a lot of sense if you're a mortgage broker or if you're a wealth management advisor. But RELA argues that if you're a 17-year-old working as a cashier in a checkout lane, it really doesn't make that much sense to have a background check. So that's really one of the main concerns that RELA has. And here, Austin Jensen, the group's vice president of government affairs, talks about why RELA is so opposed to this legislation. You're going into your local grocery store and you have a high school teenager behind the counter and they're simply just swiping your card. We think that those standards just are they're, they're cumbersome, um, they're burdensome. You know, if you're getting into a taxi cab driver, if you're going to check in at a motel, these are all things that we just believe that it's just not very well thought out. That having to apply this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you're dealing with your financial advisor or your mortgage broker, they're dealing with serious personal identifiable information. That's why it makes sense for the banking side. For us, it just kind of goes back to apples and oranges. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with our mold, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us. Really is backing one of the other bills? Yeah, RELA is supporting the Data Security and Breach Notification Act of 2015, which is another piece of legislation that came out of the House Energy and Commerce Committee rather than the Financial Services Committee. And RELA feels that this legislation is really geared more toward what retailers need and want. The bill would require organizations to report breaches to the Federal Trade Commission. RELA feels that the FTC has better jurisdiction in this environment than some of the requirements that are laid out in the Data Security Act. So, Eric, I have a question for you. You cover Congress. What are your your expectations for data security and breach legislation over the course of the next year? Not much. 
Last April 15th, this is over a year ago, as you referred to, the House Energy and Commerce Committee voted 29 to 20 along party lines to recommend to the full House passage of H.R. 1770. That's the uh, data breach notification law that Relip backs. During the committee debate, Democrats argued that the bill offered weak security protections, which resulted in one of the bill's sponsors, Vermont Democrat Peter Welch, to vote against it. Remember, any national breach notification law will usurp the state laws. And some state laws, such as those in Massachusetts, California, provide strong security provisions that were absent in H.R. 1770. Because of the perceived security weaknesses in the bill, despite the committee's passage, Republican leaders felt it couldn't pass the full House. And two days after passage, the bill was reassigned to further review to a subcommittee, where it's been languishing for the past 14 months. Tracy, don't count on any national breach notification law to be enacted in this election year. You think in inaction will make uh, Relive happy? Yeah, probably. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Eric. Finally, the Internal Revenue Service has relaunched its Get Transcript service. The IRS suspended Get Transcript following a breach last August of the service that allows taxpayers to access online their tax information. The Inspector General says the breach exposed the personal information of 724,000 taxpayers. In reintroducing the service, the tax agency toughened Get Transcript security requirements, including the addition of a new multi-factor authentication process as outlined in this IRS video. To help protect you against fraud, you will need to verify your identity before you can move forward in the process of getting a tax transcript. Here are some important items you'll need to verify your identity. An email address, your filing status, and address used on your last tax return. You will also need a mobile phone that accepts texts. The IRS will send an activation code to the taxpayer's mobile device to authorize access to Get Transcript. But is the new Get Transcript service foolproof? IRS Commissioner John Koskinen says no one, either in the public or private sector, can give an absolute guarantee that a system will never be compromised. And because of that reality, Koskinen pledges the IRS will be vigilant in updating its system security. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.